Everybody, welcome to Chuck Yates Needs a Job, the podcast. Two guests today, Kayla Monas of Digital Wildcatters. Hello. Hey, Kayla, how are you? Lizda Stevens. What's your company's name these days? I keep saying CRC, but that was, uh, that was yesterday. It was yesterday. Black Knight Energy. Black Knight Energy. I appreciate y'all two coming on the podcast. Listeners, we have a little bit of a different take today. We could have these guests on. Liz could talk oil and gas, mental health, all this great stuff. Kayla, arguably the greatest marketer in the energy business. But what I wanted to talk about today, and I'll just jump into this, and Liz, maybe you take over whenever you want to cut me off. But I was speaking on a panel somewhere, and I got a phone call one day from my friend Liz that said, hey, Chuck, I really like listening to you speak. That said, what can you tell me about the lineup? And I was like, well, I don't really know. They just asked me to speak. Turned out the lineup was all old white guys. And to your credit, you basically said, hey, Chuck, you can't go speak at events like that. And I think you were right about that. You want to pick up the story now? Did I do it justice? I mean, somewhat, right? So um, this particular event, uh, and it's not to take anything away from the people that were slated to, to speak, all really wonderful speakers. Um, but this particular event had an ESG presence. There were going to be, you know, lots of publicity. Um, and as an industry, we just had to do better, right? And so, you know, you've got an ESG panel that's the same people that speak over and over and over and over again. There are the same, you know, again, nothing today taking away from you, Chuck, as a white guy. Um, but we do have lots of diverse opinions and diverse people in our industry. And I looked at that slate and, you know, I've never been part of a women's organization in my life until last year. Um, and so when I notice that something is um, very the same and other people are also noticing, um, I trusted you enough to make that call. It was still a really difficult call for me to make, though, right? Because I don't want to be the complaining person. Um, but. I just felt like we needed to do better. And to your credit, I remember where I was. I was at lunch with Mary Bass and Mary Bass said, I told Mary what was going on. And she's like, how long ago did you talk to Chuck? And I'm like, oh, about two hours ago. And Mary said, he's probably already fixed that by now. And you had, um, you, you got, you know, what, four or five really qualified um, women uh, on that speaker slate and added to, added to the speaker slate. So Thank well, you for listening. But it, it was, um, we just have to do better as an industry. I and mean, we take so many shots um, for uh, things in the press right now. And, and that's a shot we don't need to take. Like we, we really can focus on our inclusion and making sure that all of the diverse voices we have in this industry are represented at these conferences um, as speakers, particularly in ESG where there's plenty of choices. Um, so it's really easy as a conference presenter to just text the people you know, right, within your, your circle. That, that makes filling out the seats a lot quicker. I've been there. You know, it's hard to find people to speak. Um, but we just have to try a little harder 
and you did. So thank you for doing well, that. Well, no, and and one, I appreciate the fact that well, you and I are good enough friends. Yeah. But I totally appreciate the fact that you could call and say that to me. And I have three daughters. So, so I am very cognizant about it. And my story along those lines is my middle child, Sarah Yates, will run the world one day for good or for evil. Don't know that yet, (laughs) but she's going to run the world. And she has never lacked for confidence. She has no problem telling people what to do. Last night we were out to dinner. She took my niece with her and they went and got ice cream. She came and ratted out my niece for ordering too much ice cream to my brother. (laughs) And so Sarah has no problems being in charge. One time I was talking about the job landman and talked for 15 minutes and Sarah goes, can I be a landman? I said, yeah, you'd actually be great. And went on for, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. And at the end, Sarah said, no, it just has man in the title. Can I be a landman. And, you know, for Sarah Yates to have even a hesitation that she couldn't do something was kind of an eye opener for me. So, so because we are good friends. And so within the context of that, as we were putting together speakers for an event we're doing here at, um, digital wildcatters, I, we were recruiting people to speak and Kayla and I were working a lot on this together. And the thing I noticed is the guy, Hey, come speak, looks at the calendar. Okay. Yes. Or no, I can't do it. The women had a lot more in the way of questions. So I made a snarky text back to you about, Hey, just tell the women to say yes. When we asked, I did. did. Yeah. Chuck was being snarky and he said, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's been such a pain to schedule the women because they have to ask a lot of questions and the guys just check their calendar and say yes. And, you know, that that's, you know, probably true. Um, but what I, I told Chuck is, well, you know, women and, you know, people that are not part of your club, um, whoever those are, I'm part of your club, so I'm, I'm a little bit different, but the people that are outside your club um, really have to make sure that they are qualified, that they know what you're going to be asking, that they know the format and the the venue, because they've got to protect their reputation to a greater extent than people that are in the club. And I think that's basically what I said is like, look, like, yeah, these people don't, they don't really know you. Um, they have a reputation to protect. And in our industry, um, you know, women and, and people of color are still largely minorities, at least in the U.S. And we just are a little more cautious. Um, so Chuck, we were talking about, I don't, I don't know, Kayla, if you've heard this, um, there's a concept called loss aversion, which is um, rooted in our evolution as humans. And, you know, if you're a human and you're a caveman, and you're trying to protect your resources, losing resources is a, is a really big thing when you're living in the mm-hmm. woods or living in a cave. You lose your food, you lose your shelter. Um, it's it's a, a big problem. And so we have evolved uh, to a large extent to have this concept of loss aversion. And there've been some interesting studies on it. One of them was a study of PGA putts. And so they, they studied two and a half million PGA putts normalized for um, the, the type of putt, who was making the putt, the conditions. And what was found is that um, two to 4% fewer putts were made if they were trying to make a birdie versus saving a par. And so that's a loss uh, aversion example where if I'm trying to save par, I'm losing something. 
Like, there's no real difference between a birdie and a par putt, right? Other than psychologically what is in your head and the arbitrary score that the golf course has given to that hole, right? Right. But that's that's the real studies and real psychology of our brains and trying to avoid losing. So I think that's always something you've got to keep in mind when you're reaching out to people that aren't part of your your club. Well, it was a really good point. And, and that's why I wanted Kayla to, to come join us to, to talk about this. Cause when you and I were texting back and I was obviously being flippant and, and, uh, the speakers we had for zero are amazing yeah. and it, and it, they were good questions. Hey, what's the format and all that. So I was being flippant when I did it. That being said, when you texted that back, Hey Chuck, you know, we got to be careful. We got to be better. Kayla and I started talking about it. And so mm-hmm. Kayla's had some experience with that as well as she has some thoughts on what we should yeah. be doing. So I've been producing and marketing events for the last almost 10 years now. And so I've seen this happen time and time again with different events. And so whether it was with company A or company B or now company C, I start to see the same things happening over and over again. And so as a woman and a person of color, when I go into these, you know, events, I'm thinking to myself, I have the control and I have the power so I can invite whoever I want. Right. And so I put together, you know, my target list or people that I want to invite. And like Chuck said, I can get a whole bunch of the guys to immediately say yes. And then I have a whole roster, but I'm, I am intentionally trying to target women and people of color. I really want diverse perspectives. And at least for our industry, I'm not just looking for like a token person of color or a woman to be on there. I really am looking for diversity of thought. You know, if we have finance, I want, you know, like, um, you know, a public bank and private equity. I want all kinds of different perspectives. And so when we've been doing this, we've just been seeing it's so difficult to find women A, that are qualified, and then B, that will say yes. But I think it's not just on the company that's producing to make sure that they have, you know, a target to to include a more balanced uh, panel or speakers, but also how do the companies that they work for support these women? Are they making sure, like, are you telling your women, hey, we want you out there. We want you speaking. We'll cover your expenses. We'll help you out. We'll give you resources. Or um, or just like, what are the ways we can support these women? How can we give them public speaking training or things that will enable them to say yes? Yeah. Kayla brings up a really good point. And also, we can't expect, um, you know, the one or two people that represent uh, a gender or a a, a race or an age group or what, whatever it is, you can't always expect them to say yes. And that that's something that we don't recognize, right? That if you've got one African-American female that's a C-suite executive and that person is constantly being asked to speak um, and feels like they have to because they're trying to represent the gender that uh, and race, that dramatically can take away from the focus time at work and at home with their families. And so we also have to recognize like it's not an obligation for somebody to come in and represent whatever seat that they fill. Um, You can make the offer, you know, companies can, you know, try to support them, um, but don't expect that one person to lead every DNI initiative Mm -hmm. you've got at the company. That's not fair to that person at all. 
unless they want to, right? right? But if they don't want to, it's it's it just don't make them, right? <clears throat> so we also have to recognize that that when people say no to the event or to a podcast, it could be just because you know they're saying yes to so many different things, right? And where you might have a hundred um, other people to fill a seat and you only have one black female, like that black female cannot do every single podcast. Right. They can't do every single conference, yeah. um, nor should they have to, right? So we really have to go point. deeper um, and and really start cultivating others that can, yeah, that can fill those I think spots. for this panel and particularly that we did for Zero, you know, there are some companies out there that did a really great job of saying, hey, Here's a recommendation of someone who I think would be great for this panel who's really qualified. And maybe it's someone that Chuck and I have never heard of before, but turns out they are super insightful about what we're going to talk about. And we've just they've never been given the opportunity to have the platform. They've never been elevated to speak somewhere. They just haven't been given the opportunity. And so I think as an industry, we have to be thinking about things like that. I know we want to hear from this person and that person and the other, but we hear from them seven times a year you know so i think it's time that we give that seat to somebody else who might have uh you know something new to share with us and so I, go- had, I had a sorry i cut you off liz i had a bit of a cool story because a conference i was not speaking at i saw the roster and noticed lack of of females uh speakers and i called somebody who was part was one of the organizer and i said hey tell me about the speakers you've got and he started going on, and he's a very prominent member of the of the energy community. And he started going on about this speaker and that speaker. And I go, hey, guess what? I know all those folks. You don't have a woman on the panel. And to his credit, went, oh, my gosh, you're totally right. And so is addressing the issue. But he said something that I think all of us need to hear and think about. He said... I was a geeky engineer growing up, and Leslie Haynes, at heart, chose me to talk on a panel and gave me the opportunity to do it, and I got up there, and I totally stunk, and I was horrible, and Leslie told me I was great, and he said, that changed my life. He goes, I am now a very good public speaker. I do it a lot, and it was all because Leslie gave me the opportunity, so I I think it's really important sitting there to look at it through the lens of we're going to miss out on a lot of great stuff if we don't go recruit people and we got to give them their reps. I mean, I'm a really great speaker, but I sucked for 10 years. I mean, yeah. it was 10 yeah. years of bad jokes. Chuck has a lot of practice. So that's another thing that Chuck and I have you know, talked about a lot is perhaps one of some of the reasons that some of these women don't immediately accept is because they aren't speaking that often and so you know maybe they're nervous maybe they don't feel that confident that they're going to perform that well and it's probably because they aren't given the opportunity as often as their male peers well i think i took my first text back to chuck was you're scary that was my my snarky comment back before i before i i got serious but it goes beyond speaking right so if you think back to organizations and business settings beyond speaking in a public setting um and I, I've noticed with, my, with myself, I, I actually at CRC, I had probably one of the most diverse teams at CRC, if not the most, kind of under the, the corp dev and financial umbrella. And uh, if you looked at it on paper, 
And what I realized is that although we were all, you know, different races from different areas, different ages, we span the gamut, um, even different uh, educational backgrounds, we all kind of worked the same. We thought the same. And so we would, you know, sometimes have some blind spots because we all thought and worked the same, even though on paper we looked very diverse. And so I've recognized about myself that as uh, you know, as an employee and as a leader, I tended to gravitate towards people who worked like me, mm-hmm. um, thought like me, head down, just work, 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 work. Um, and that can lead to some some pretty big blind spots. So it's way more comfortable to work with people who are like you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it it doesn't mean that your organization is going to be more successful, right? Um, so beyond this on paper, you know, we need more women and minorities to be speaking at conferences. We need to look within in our own organizations and and really assess, like, you know, what is how am I being inclusive in my organization? How am I being inclusive of people who um, look and act and think differently from me? And am am I doing the right things as a leader and as a peer to make sure that those voices are heard and that yeah. they feel safe to speak up? Because what is it really about? It's about feeling safe and trusting, right? Um, and they need to people need to feel safe to to speak up and share their their opinions. And in a lot of organizations, you don't. And so you get people that are, you know, being quiet and um, bad things can happen uh, oh, as yeah. a result of it. People can get hurt um, uh, and, and accidents can happen. And you, you don't want that. Right? You want people to um, feel fully confident stopping work if there's a safety incident and right. know that they're going to be listened to and that um, serious action will be taken uh, take into account. So um, so it goes beyond just what we're talking about in podcasts and, and speaking. Yeah, no, it's actually a really great point tying to marketing. I think um, one of the things I like to teach my team or peers is just that taking out your own personal bias is one of the strongest things you can do to be able to market to people effectively. Because guess what? I am not the center of the universe. Not everybody thinks like me. Not everybody likes the things that I do. Not everybody communicates in the same way that I do. So I've got to really extract myself, extract other marketers' biases just to be able to kind of switch gears and put your and you know, put on someone else's shoes for a day and figure out that perspective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we heard some of the Kodak story so many times, right, Chuck? I mean, you know the Kodak story. Um, you know, Kodak was a actually a pioneer in digital technology. They had the early technology, they had the patents, they had a ton of internal research that showed that the world was moving to digital away from print. And um, they they could have captured that market um, if they'd chosen to. Instead, they chose to um, promote an insider who was a big proponent of, um, of print technology as opposed to the outsider who was within the company but was kind of from the outside uh, who was a proponent of digital technology. So they they made that promotion, kicked out the guy that was um, a proponent of digital, uh, and bought some uh, drugstores that they thought would uh, complement their print technology and went bankrupt um, and definitely did not capture that market. So being isolationist and, and listening to your insiders, um, silencing those outside voices can be really dangerous and can have very, very serious consequences for for a company. Um, so, like I said, it goes beyond, you know, just, you know, gender and race. It, it really is um, an inclusion, mm-hmm. um, inclusion story to me. And I, 
and I think part of the message of folks that listen to it today, if you're a leader as someone that ran a private equity firm, I can tell you this, people do not tell you the truth. <laughs> I mean, they, do, they tell you what you want to hear. So when you get all this glowing praise as the leader of an organization, it's total bullshit. So discount the, the praise. Uh, that's number one. Um, and so find people that will tell you the truth. And to do that, you really have to go to the things you've been talking about, create the environment for it. And it's, it's amazing that people with different perspectives, someone that grew up in the different part of the country, somebody that is a philosophy major and you're an engineer, the way they look at the world differently, if you're going to shut yourself off from that input, you're only hurting yourself. I mean, if the, the great leader says, hey, we should do X, and if you need to raise your voice to convince other people to do it, you're probably wrong, you know? Well, coming to oil and gas, so I don't know if Chuck, even you even know this. So I worked for GE for two years um, before, while I was in school, full time, I was working at GE. And um, then after graduating, I came over to oil and gas. And it was a real culture shock for me because at GE, it didn't matter if you were the lowest person in the room. If you had data or analysis and or somebody misspoke in a meeting, even if you're the intern, if you know that what they've said is incorrect and you have the data, you're supposed to speak up right then and there. You don't wait. like Because they could make decisions and implement it in a plant that um, could harm you know, the company right then and there. And so you were expected to speak up. Um, and maybe part of that was that I was working in a plant, and so there could be safety ramifications or, or whatever. I don't know if that was widespread GE, um, but certainly was my experience there. And I, when I came to oil and gas, I had a rude awakening for me. That you, I remember speaking up in a meeting because somebody had quoted a number wrong or something was like not correct, and I said, "Oh, you know, wait a minute, that's not the right number. Here's the right number," and I got counseled. <laughs> that, really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. In a nice way. Nice way. Yeah. I was, I was, you know, the junior person. They said, look, don't, you know, we make a note of that and we, you know, we deal with that later. Um, and I'm like, wow, that's just really different. It's a very different culture. Um, and I know that's not, I'm generalizing. That's not every company, mm -hmm. um, within our industry, but it's a lot of them, a lot of them. So I'm doing, I'm trying to do a piece of, of content right now. And when I do investigative work, and I put that in quotes, and <laughs> if we had video, you would see me smiling kind of tongue-in-cheek. But um, So when I do investigative stuff, what I've found is I just need to go interview, talk, interview, talk, do a lot of stuff, and then eventually the story kind of percolates out of it. And one of the things I'm, I'm investigating is why do young people not come into our business? And I think I know the answer to that, but the interviews I've been doing with college kids and the like, an interesting point that popped out of all this kind of to your point was somebody said, you know, if I go work for Amazon, I could literally be VP of all marketing at age 26. If I go work for an oil and gas company, I cannot be a VP until I'm 37. And in energy, we have a tendency to really lean on the tenure slash experience thing. And, and, and maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's sexism, maybe it's, you know, something, or it's just, 
you know, you're out in the field 15 years, you learn stuff. And so your, your voice should carry, uh, carry more, but you know, you're seeing time and time again, that young people with an iPhone, with an algorithm and data can figure stuff out. We had, um, I had, I heard one example where literally an EMP company, a 24 year old data scientist figured out, you know, if a pumper will never put the truck in reverse, We'll cut down accidents, wear and tear and all that. And it turned out to be true. And 30-year pumpers didn't come up with that. So I'm not denigrating a pumper because their experience is valuable. But, yeah, it does feel like we have way more of a pyramid tenure, years of experience, culture in oil and gas than maybe other industries like tech do. Well, you need both, right? I mean, when, when something goes wrong in oil and gas, what happens? People can die, right? If you, you know, are a VP at Amazon, I mean, I guess if you're in delivery or trucking, then, you know, right. I mean, the risks are higher. But most of the divisions in Amazon, um, you're not faced with like that daily. If um, you make a stupid ad, you can withdraw the ad. Right. And, <laughs> yeah, and okay. I'm, we're, we're making their business out to be a little less complex than it is. I mean, there, there are certainly um, areas within Amazon, at least, that... Um, where safety is a concern. But I think that's part of it, Chuck, is that, you know, we make bad decisions in oil and gas. They're very serious environmental um, safety, other ramifications that, that can happen in those decisions. I think you need both. Um, you know, and I've seen, you know, you know, I was helping job seekers through a lot of the downturn. And it, it's it's weird because there was kind of during the downturn, there was a lot of ageism against um, older workers. So basically, a lot of the people that I was helping, anybody over 40 was having a really hard time getting a callback. Um, the young ones were because people just assumed they would be cheap, I right. guess. Um, but anybody over 40 was really having a hard time um, through that that downturn. So um, I think it kind of goes both ways in our industry. Um, but the, the reality is you need, you know, people to crunch numbers, however old they are. You know, one of the very smartest data people I knew at Oxy was 60 years old brilliant like could do things that nobody else could so i i think it's not fair to you know be ageist and and assume that just because somebody's 24 and somebody's 60 the 24 year old's gonna be better at crunching the numbers than the 60 year old um i think you know the the experience and the results need to speak for themselves regardless of of somebody's age um so i've seen a lot of a lot of ageism as well in the last two years i think i've actually had a pretty different experience in oil and gas and i think this is good for the industry um you know working at for example hard energy i was able to get two promotions in a very small amount of time and i do think a lot of it was because i was really vocal and i wasn't afraid to you know go against the grain and say something that was unpopular and they really cultivated a culture there where even though I might have been younger in the room or um, or not as experienced in oil and gas, I was listened to. And that was really um, to both of our benefit. You know, Hard Energy got a lot of great marketing out of it. And I was able to, you know, grow my career a little bit more there. But um, but yeah, I definitely think that it's changing a little bit and that the industry is supporting younger you know, people within the industry. But I also see the same thing that Liz is saying is that we do need to make sure that we're still, we're not discounting people who are, you know, above 40 because that is happening a lot. Yeah. yeah. Experience in the field still 
you know, it's absolutely required and, and understand what you're running through the data science models, right? Um, the best data scientist at CRC biologist and one was a mechanical engineer and both of them had field experience and they were just able to dial that the insights in because of their field experience combined with data science so understanding what to make of the numbers was very important in building relevant tools that actually could be used by the field so yeah i think we need both well and to to the it's one of those interesting points of perception may even outweigh reality. I mean, young folks aren't coming in because they don't think they're going to have a shot to make a contribution, say things. They're going to have to wait around 10 years. And either way, it's a problem, right? If that's the perception, we're not getting the youngest uh, of talents. So, okay, we've laid out a problem. We kind of came at it from speaking and, and it got broader. Um, let's start talking solutions. So, Kayla, if we think about this and what we just went through, recruiting speakers and the like, how do we make it better for potential candidates that may be outside, to Liz's uh, terminology, maybe outside the club? Give me an idea or two. Yeah. No, I actually think we did that pretty successfully. For people who do tune into Zero. you'll see a lot of new faces on there that aren't, you know, traditionally on the digital wildcatter circuit. Um but I think that whoever is organizing a conference, you guys really need to be conscious and deliberate about making sure you're targeting diverse thoughts. And so, as I mentioned before, that includes gender, race, age, the companies that they work at, the positions that they're in. And, um, and I think you will provide more value for you know the people who are your consumers and your audience. You're going to be giving them way greater content. So I think that's step one. And then um, I do think it's really helpful to answer all their questions. And so anyone who's worked with me, um, I'm happy to always get on the phone and I will answer every single question you have. I'd love to tell you about the format, what to wear, who else is speaking, what we're trying to achieve, you know. Who the audience is, who that the audience, sort of stuff. All those, all those things. I think you've got to be really responsive. And, you know, we just had a really big objective and we wanted to make sure that this was a really diverse um, conference. I think you have to start there. It has to be a deliberate intention. If it's an afterthought, if you've already like recruited a bunch of people and then you look at your marketing and you're like, oh shit, there's a bunch of old white dudes on this. Like it's kind of too late. You know, you should start step one. Like that's where we want to begin for sure. Well, and as a conference, I mean, if you're, if you're putting a conference presumably to get attendance, it's really growing your I like it's a win-win solution yeah. so if you stick to all the same people you're gonna get the same network attending but if you have some new people yeah. you're gonna get their network. it's people, marketing people gold. are gonna yeah. people are gonna come out to see or you know my friends are gonna come hear me speak if I ask them to and um you know so it, it's good to you know have some balance um and not just have the same people speaking over and over again there's a few people in this this industry that um, folks will come out and hear talk over and over again. Dr. John Lee is one of them. Any, but anytime Dr. Lee is speaking, people just come out in droves. Um, but most everybody else, I mean, people don't want to hear me talk all the time. They don't want to hear you talk all the time, Chuck, although you're entertaining. You're, cr you're crushing me. <laughs> you're entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> We're canceling this podcast right now. <laughs> I, still, I still love you. You know that. <laughs> the, so, 
So I was thinking some stuff when and and you know my snarky text back and forth with you notwithstanding, uh, I actually think it was really good asking those questions because quite frankly. I had never thought of those questions that we were being asked by various folks, and uh, I thought they were I thought they were really good. And the other thing it did that I think was important is it created a set of expectations that we needed to live up to. Um, so I thought that was important. Are there things that leaders and we're using conference and speaking? We can talk about board members or whatever, but are there things that old white guy leaders should be doing proactively. I had one idea is should old white guys pick three young people and go eat lunch once a month? I mean, that, that sounds kind of flippant and, and all that, but um, I mean, tell me the responsibility to my people of yeah. old white guys. What well, do I we think, need to be doing? Um, so I actually shared this story with Chuck before. Um, but one of the things that I had happen at another company is um, we got absolutely crushed on social media by a couple of influential people in the business who were calling us out for not having, you know, women represented on a certain conference. And they went, you know, they were blasting it all over social media, but not just that. They went so far as to contact every speaker on that conference and to ask them to um, to pressure the organization to have more women on the panel or have or more women on the conference in general. And so one of the things that I think um, white males can do, and this is something that Chuck does to his credit, is, you know, if you're asked to speak somewhere and you're really maybe not the right person or you're busy or something, instead of just declining, you could uh, recommend, you know, a couple of your female peers or colleagues that would be great for that panel as well. So I think just making sure that we are kind of lending a hand and lifting someone else up is something that you could do. Yeah, and I mean, for anybody that's listening to this and needs help with lists of people, Absolutely. you can, you guys know me, you can always contact me and I can help, you know, I can help fill out your panels with lists of, of diverse people. Um, so that offer is out there if you guys need help. Um, I don't know, I mean, I don't want to bag on like, you know, old white male like leaders because i mean i've actually had some really really good ones i've been fortunate and when you, i always say we're misguided we're not bad no, it's the not, old white guy yeah, is misguided some, we're not bad some are, some are bad some are bad but, but like I, anything i've but. been pretty pretty you know and that's why i was a little bit hesitant when you asked me to to do this 36 hours ago because <laughs> i'm not an expert on dni um, and I've not experienced a lot of the same things that that people are are struggling with myself in the industry. Uh, most of the things I've experienced were actually outside of my own organization, you know, with with peer networks and things like that outside of my company. So I haven't um, experienced a lot of it directly myself. Um, what I will say is um, always challenge yourself um, as as a leader um, to not assume that the so I'll, I'll give an example right so i don't know chuck if you golf i don't golf and there's a lot of and there, there are a lot of men in our industry that don't golf but there are a lot that do and um a, a lot of the bonding going back to kind of trust and being in the club can um, often occur on a golf course right there's a ton of time spent on golf courses 
And I've tried to golf. I'm really, 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 really bad. Um, I can drive a golf cart. But um, so if your bonding activity that you're doing with your um, employees is always golf, you're going to leave people behind. Those people, you know, are very likely to be women like me and, and some other people, guys that don't play golf. And so you're missing out on building those relationships and those trust networks with part of your employee group. Um, so I'm not saying don't go golfing, um, but make sure that you're including other activities that will allow you to have those same bonding relationships with with everybody. Um, so go golfing, but, mm -hmm. you know, go have lunch or go, you know, yeah. whatever, whatever, whatever people want to do. And you just have to be very, very cognizant of it. Right. Yeah. Have I. Oh, I haven't seen Chuck at any of these events that I've thrown. Let me reach out to Chuck and, and see what's going on and see if Chuck would like to go and, and do something one on one or if there's something else that I can do to build a relationship with Chuck. I think it is um, a responsibility of leaders to build relationships with everybody in in their networks. Everybody that reports to you, you should have a relationship with and you should know. Um, and so that's what I would say is if you're you've just got to be very thoughtful about it. Um, and People if, are way more likely to talk on their home field, too. Sure. So if someone hates golf and they're playing golf with you, you're getting smoke blown at you. You right. know, where right. if they're well, you're like, already in loss aversion mode, right? So if yeah. you take me to a golf course, even though and you know me, I'm pretty confident, but I'm immediately going to be in loss aversion mode in my brain because I'm. I look stupid and I know I look stupid. I can putt maybe, but I really like, I'm worried about, am I going to hit the ball this time? And it doesn't matter how many people say it does, you know, it's no big deal. I can't golf very well either. I'm still going to feel embarrassed being on a golf course because I'm just terrible, right? You take me out to a soccer field, you know, I can smoke people, but we don't play industry soccer because there's too many <laughs> head injuries and, and busted knees. So, um, so, yeah, I mean, it's just know that if you're taking people out, it's not enough to just go, oh, it's no big deal. Lots of people don't play well because the folks that don't play well are going to feel embarrassed and you're going to get them in a state where they're not relaxed. They're going to be more stressed out and they're not going to be bonding with you in the same way that the others would be. Does that make sense? No, that makes mm -hmm. that that makes that makes yeah. perfect sense as the as the father of three daughters. I've gotten a lot of pedicures. I've, it turns out I really like pedicures, so I will fess up to that. But early days, it was not something I went and did because I thought I liked it. It was something that I went and did because I knew they would like it. And I'll tell you this. I mean, my daughters can be grumpy and not wanting to talk to dad and all that. You, Everybody in a pedicure chair <laughs> is pleasant and chats with each other. And so I say that flippantly, but it when you meet people on their territory, you're way more likely to get good advice, information, mm -hmm. et cetera. So I think that's a good point. One last thing I'll bring up that, uh, that uh, one of the private equity firms out there, when they go to investment committee on a deal, makes the youngest member of the deal team present the deal and vote first. And it's we've been talking about carrots the whole time that's arguably the stick. Okay, you have to go first. You have to tell us what you think. And what they have found is, generally speaking, what the youngest analyst that crunched all the numbers votes is marginally better than what the committee decides just because that person is so Intimately into the weeds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't, I mean, there's different strategies. I would probably, I, I, I'd say that anything that's exactly the same every time, the same process every time in that kind of situation is probably suboptimal, right? So, you know, if you have meetings and everybody sits in the same chairs, there's studies to show that um, the, the same people will speak up every time. But if you shake the chairs up, then you're getting more people to, to speak. So if your process every single time is to make the junior analyst go vote first, uh, I don't know. I would probably shake that up and I would okay. probably draw out of a hat and or make everybody blind vote or whatever it is, um, but shake that up to get a little more diversity of thought um, because you are still with the junior analyst voting first. You're you're still doing the same thing every single time and people are going to immediately fall into whatever role they want to be most comfortable with. Some will just follow the junior analyst. Some will take their work and tweak it a little bit. I mean, so it still is the same thought pattern every single time, right? So if you really are trying to get new ideas, you've got to shake it up. Oh, interesting. Right? So that's what uh, another bit of advice I would give for senior leaders. To get new ideas, you got to shake it up within reason. Um, oh. You can't always be shaking it up because people get really uncomfortable. I mean, I think that that should be a normal course of business for healthy companies to um, reach out, reach out to the people doing the work, because I guarantee you they got, I mean, people doing the work, especially in the field, they give you a list of 20 things they would like to do right now that would enhance the margins of their fields, right? Just nobody's asking. Yeah. Nobody's asking those things, right? Um, so, uh, so that's what I would say. Shake it up, ask, ask genuinely, uh, and keep asking. Oh, good stuff. Kayla, give us a final thought. Oh, see. I wish we had video on this. Right? I know. I'm like, uh, you got me. I don't know. I think um I think the other thing to to kind of piggyback off of what Liz said on, you know, we're not trying to rag on the old white dudes, is that this isn't something that only touches the energy industry. I was actually kind of trying to look this up. Uh, independently before we started doing this. And this is something that's pervasive in all industries, you know, and, you know, being in marketing as well, I go to marketing conferences and I think like, oh my God, there's so many women here, but, um, but they also have the issue where, you know, they're just not as represented. So I think it's just something that um, if you're passionate about it and you want to help out, I think a lot of people like Chuck might have daughters at home. I think it gives, um, you know, the younger generation, a lot of hope that we, are being seen we are valid and we do have merit and we can be up there speaking we can be in elevated positions well you two are really cool to come on and and like i said i just i wanted to make sure we captured this conversation because we the three of us had this over the last little bit and so i uh, i think it's helpful hopefully it's helpful for people to hear you can follow it up with some real DNI experts, which we are the three of us are definitely not. So it's the Chuck you. Yates needs a job way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me, Chuck. Thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on.